Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. You are listening to a Sunday morning sobriety episode where we explore all aspects of physical and emotional sobriety. It's important to note that I am not an expert or the final word on this topic. I created this series to share my experience, strength, and hope with anyone on the journey of physical or emotional sobriety. After listening to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode. So this episode is about putting sobriety and recovery first, what that looks like in our lives, and why it's so important for us. So let's begin with what it looks like when someone is at the crossroads and is making the decision to be sober, to find some sort of recovery, whether that's in a treatment facility, whether that's a hospital, therapy, or a 12-step group, or any other version. At that point, something in your life is not working, and it brings you to your knees. It shows up in your relationships, your finances, your emotional life, your physical life. Maybe it impacts your health, your home, your family, your partner. It starts showing up, and things become unmanageable. So to get to a place where you are considering sobriety or recovery, you're thinking something needs to change. And our first thought is usually about whatever we are using at the time. So we think it's either alcohol or food or sex or drugs or codependency or our emotions, whatever it is for us, we think if we put that one thing down, all will be well. And what usually happens is that we realize it is not just about our relationship with that one thing. It's our perspective, which has become very distorted over time. It's about how we think, how we relate, how we see ourselves, how we see the rest of the world, and how we communicate our fears and our needs. So you find yourself at that point, and you are finally willing and open to make changes, or you finally believe that somebody else knows a better way to do it, and you're willing to give it a shot. So what happens at that point? We begin to listen and take notes on what other people are doing who have what we want. So we look around and we see either that person has sobriety or recovery or they have a great emotional life. We look at that and we begin modeling their behavior and we begin listening to what they recommend that we do because they are ahead of us, whether it's five steps or 50 steps. So that can look like being in a hospital setting and listening to what the doctor recommends or being in a treatment center and listening to what the staff recommends. Or it could be sitting in a 12-step program and listening to someone who has more time than you or listening to your sponsor. And hopefully the information shared with you is shared from a place of humility and based in reality. And you can begin implementing what is shared with you in your life. But what does that look like at that point? 
because you think about how disorganized and chaotic our internal and external worlds are when we walk through those doors. Like I said, whether it's through a hospital door, a therapy door, a support group door, something has brought us there. Something is not working and other people around us notice it, right? And although we may walk through those doors pretty beaten down physically or emotionally or spiritually, the ego does this really tricky thing where it rebuilds itself overnight and it forgets. It forgets about the things that brought us to our knees. It forgets about the things that made us ashamed. It forgets about the things that make us cringe or things that keep us up at night or things that damaged our relationships or our reputations. And all of a sudden, the ego, which five minutes ago was in the gutter and thought we were the worst and lowest person on the planet, is suddenly grandiose and 10 feet tall and shining and we know better than everyone. So again, I don't say that to make fun of anyone. I think it's a really common thing. And when we talk about things that we all go through, we make it safer for the next person. So we find ourselves in this sort of grandiose state and the version of us that was willing when we walked in the door and ready to do anything, we just wanted to feel better, look better, sound better. We wanted our families back, our jobs back. That person is nowhere to be found because all of a sudden our good ideas walk in the room and suddenly we know better. Even though five minutes ago we had no idea what to do, now we know better because our ego has returned even in the slightest way. Now, why is this important? Because there's this concept that I've experienced and seen with my own eyes many, many times that I didn't truly understand until, again, I experienced it for myself first and I witnessed it in others. And that is anything that you put in front of sobriety or recovery, you will lose. And that sounds so extreme. I remember the first few times I heard that, it was probably in an Al-Anon meeting. And I was like, what do you mean anything I put before sobriety or recovery, I'll lose? Like, I have a job, I've got family, I've got responsibilities. I can't put this first. That's so selfish. I can't put myself first. I have to take care of everything else. Not realizing that putting everything else first, putting myself last, and just ricocheting back and forth between those things was actually causing a lot of my problems. Another reason that many people really struggle with that concept is that it's too simple, right? It's too simple. It almost makes you feel as if you're being tricked or something or an answer or solution has to be way more complicated in order for it to have depth and weight and for it to actually make a change in your life. But isn't it ironic that some of the simplest and easiest things to do are the things that will make profound changes and we resist them because we want it to show up in a more complicated or shiny package. So here's this concept of anything you put before sobriety or recovery, you'll lose. And how does that show up, especially in the early stages of sobriety and recovery? That looks like prioritizing your physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health in a way that is probably very counterintuitive to how we have been living up to this point. So there's some aspect of it that can just feel wrong because it's not what we've been doing. And isn't it so humiliating 
that a healthier, more aligned way to live is completely the opposite of what we have been doing. It's really hard to give that up and to say we might have been wrong about things or we may have been participating in the harm in our own lives. It's really not easy to let go of. So when, let's say, you come into a 12-step group and they talk about the steps, how many newcomers walk in and say, well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't need that. I don't need to be in a 12-step program and work steps, right? Because there's this idea that we can come and we can decide what we need. We can pick out our medicine because we know better. So when somebody does begin a 12-step journey, I think it's really important to do what is shared to do. And that is work steps, clean house, work with others, come to meetings, regular meetings, regularly, have a service commitment, and again, work with others and work these steps. But what do we often hear? That 12-step programs are about showing up to meetings, smoking cigarettes, and just complaining about our lives. And it's actually quite the opposite. So we can come into a 12-step program and think, well, the meetings feel social. They feel good. I can tell stories about things I've done, and no one is cringing in horror. They're kind of laughing and saying, me too. And we can think, oh, I just want to stick with the things that instantly feel good. But then we'll see someone with long-term sobriety and recovery, and they're there with service commitments. They're out there sponsoring people. They're doing H&I panels. They're the first one to walk up and greet the newcomer. They're sharing in meetings regularly, and they're not complaining about the nuances of their lives. They're actually talking about how these principles show up in our lives and how to live life on life's terms and how to incorporate these steps for a new way of living. And what can we learn from that? Or what do we instantly think about that? We think, that's great for that other guy, but I don't need that. I know what I need. (laughs) And so we begin to put other things in front of our sobriety and recovery. And one of my favorite lines from the big book that really resonated with me always and to this day is, we do this job or no job, wife or no wife, meaning I don't embark on a journey of sobriety and recovery simply to get back what I lost. I do this to rebuild myself, to show up in the community, to be of service, to be a channel for a higher power or the universe to move through me. It's not just about me getting exactly what I had. And that can be really confusing when someone is working on being newly sober and moving through the very challenging physical aspects of that new sobriety is very challenging on the body, very challenging on the mind. And so you can hear me talk about this and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't need that. I just need to get my family back. I need to get back in the house. I need to get my license again. I need to clear up this court case. I need someone to pay my taxes that I haven't paid in five years. And that's the noise in our heads. That's the distorted perception that says, Yeah, you ended up in this situation and you really didn't know how to fix anything up till now, but now that you have like three minutes of sobriety, you've got it all figured out and you have enough of an ego to tell that other person who has 20 years of sobriety how you can do it differently than them because you're special. 
So a really challenging lesson for people in early sobriety and recovery is that reprioritization that has to happen, or it doesn't have to happen. I mean, you can do it however you want, but it's certainly helpful when it happens. And the thing that's so interesting about it is that what we rebel against at first, what feels totally challenging to our system, it feels like it's going to be the death of us, is actually a blueprint for living in a way that will serve us time and time again, that we can depend on no matter what's going on, no matter if something good is happening to us or something terrible is happening. And for so many of us, we actually need more help showing up for the good stuff than we do for the challenging things. One thing I talk about a lot on this podcast is the importance of our outsides matching our insides and how that disequilibrium, which so many of us go through at different stages in our lives, can be really challenging and it can distort our perception. And so as I'm talking about putting sobriety and recovery first so that we don't lose everything else, I'm really pointing to the fact that this is an inside job. And I want to be aware of some of the spiritual bypassing that comes up around this in wellness communities or even in social media or just the culture. Saying that something's an inside job does not dismiss the societal issues that go along with this. There is still racism. There is still poverty. There are still capitalist constructs that are really challenging. So as I say that, I'm not saying that, well, if you just work on the inside, then everything would be fine. That's not it. It's about finding a place of serenity and calm no matter what is going on and to feel that you are empowered and have agency in those moments, which so many of us do not feel like we have. So we come into early sobriety or recovery and our ego is shattered, our lives are just challenging, and our thoughts are really distorted. So it would make sense that when we hear it's an inside job and you have to reorganize how you approach things, we can think, yeah, 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 I'll do that as soon as I do this other thing, as soon as I move to a new city, as soon as I get better friends, as soon as I find a new partner, someone who treats me better, as soon as whatever you want to fill in the blank. Yes, those things can sometimes really help. I'm not here to judge what goes on in someone's life, but I think what we're getting at here is all of those things are changeable. All of those things are outside of us. And so what we're talking about here is working on the inside so that no matter what is happening on the outside, no matter what boyfriend or girlfriend we lose, no matter if we get fired from our job, no matter if we're living in our car, no matter if our family won't talk to us again, We have made sure that we have rebuilt ourselves with a strong foundation on the inside, and we can meet both calamity and serenity with just a little bit of emotional sobriety. All of those outside things are wonderful. It is incredible to have a great job, to have a family that loves us, to have a partner that understands us, to feel incredible in our physical bodies and to be received well by the people we interact with. Those things are wonderful, but they will not keep you sober. And that is really important as a newcomer because those things look really shiny. And you know what doesn't look shiny? Being of service in a meeting. 
going to therapy regularly, <laughs> taking medication, all of those things don't seem shiny because they are sort of the seeds that we plant and invest in ourselves and they grow over time, but they don't change overnight. And that's important to remember. And it's okay to remind ourselves that we're a little fragile when we first come in and we first decide, hey, maybe I want to try this. Maybe I do want to be sober. Maybe I do want to be in recovery. And for a lot of us, there is a profound fear that if we have not done something, if we do not know the ins and outs of it, if we cannot predict something 10 steps ahead, if we don't know exactly what's going on and what the outcome is going to be, then something must be wrong. I know that a lot of people feel that way. And I say that again to just remind you that you're not the only one who thinks that way and that it's really okay. It's a very natural reaction to some of the experiences we have in relation with others. But a little trust and willingness and openness goes a long way. One of my favorite recovery speakers is Matthew M. And I listened to a talk he gave recently where he spoke about bringing a meeting into a prison. And I think I mentioned that in a previous episode about H&I, hospitals and institutions, where 12-step programs will go into these prisons or hospitals and bring a meeting to the people there. So Matthew went and did this. And there was a little confusion in the meeting about what sobriety and recovery meant and what he was sharing. And some people had said, well, I've done this before. And, you know, I ended up here or... I did that and it didn't work because I went to meetings all the time and, you know, it didn't have any effect on me. It didn't stop me from doing this. And he said, all right, I totally get that. So stand up if you have ever been to a 12-step meeting and most of the room stood up. And he said, okay, stay standing if you got a sponsor. And some people sat down, but a few people were still up. And he said, all right, stand up. If you have worked all the 12 steps and almost no one was standing up, and then he said, stay standing if you worked with others and everyone sat down. Now, why is that important? Not because that made him better than the other people, but because it was a really important part of sobriety and recovery, the altruism, the connection, the community, the lack of isolation, keeping what you have by giving it away, that's a powerful, powerful thing for people who are in recovery or wanting to be sober. And that might sound contrary to what I'm talking about here, which is anything you put before sobriety or recovery, you might lose because this is part of that journey, working with others, picking up the phone when another person in recovery calls, sharing at a meeting, staying a few minutes after to listen to a newcomer, all of that is prioritizing sobriety and recovery. But for many of us, the people in our lives have been really hypervigilant and really impacted and attached to our behaviors because our behaviors were not reliable. Maybe our behaviors were harmful. And so as a method of self-protection, they sort of measured us and paid attention to us and regulated around us. And so now we are in recovery in whatever form it is, and we are doing things differently. And it might not make sense to the people in our lives, because from their perspective, sometimes it can seem like 
well, I want you to be sober, but I just want you to be sober. I don't want you to have to do anything to get there. I want you to stop what you were doing without starting something new. So when we say, I want to go to regular meetings regularly, or I want to go to therapy regularly, or I want to go to a a different type of support group, or I want to go get my medication, or I want to speak to a psychiatrist, that can seem inconvenient sometimes to the people in our lives because haven't we been selfish this whole time? Addiction or disordered using is very selfish. We've been stealing from the people in our lives. Maybe not financially, but we've been stealing their trust, stealing their time, their affection, their energy. And here we are not reimbursing them, right? We are maybe in their eyes being even more selfish by focusing on ourselves. But the key here is that all of those things, whether it's medication or therapy, meetings, meditation, working the steps, working with other service work, It can seem self-indulgent or it can seem like another escape mechanism. But what it actually is, is the relieving of the bondage of self. And it can seem very self-indulgent to work on ourselves. But when we work on ourselves in this way, we are opening ourselves up to be better partners, better parents, better coworkers, better employees, better family members. And that's why this is so important. I work with newcomers a lot, so I have this conversation on a regular basis, and I actually love it because it's really helpful for me to remind me of the way I used to think and how I can constantly check myself and maintain that discipline. And discipline sounds like such a terrible word, right? It seems harsh. It seems punitive. But again, haven't we walked into this with distorted perception? So what if we looked at the word discipline as something that helped us instead of something that punished us. A really simple way to break it down is you're going to get what you got if you do what you did. So when newcomers come in and they're completely shattered upon walking through the doors and they're really open and willing, but then a week later when they feel a bit better, they feel like they have better ideas. They understand that everyone else wants to work steps or everyone else needs therapy or everyone else needs to be on medication, but not them. And here's why. And they'll explain it. And I think that that's our ego just fighting for its life, fighting for its place. And it's the bondage of self trying to mark its territory. And it makes a lot of sense. It happens right on time. But I think what I'm trying to introduce here is that you won't die by putting sobriety or recovery first. And it feels like a death, right? It feels like we're losing all these parts of ourselves. And can't we just keep a little bit? Can't we just keep a little bit of our old self and a little bit of our old life? And here we're saying, no, immediately put this thing first and see what happens. And how does that show up later on? Because I think that that's also a really important point. It's easy enough to say in early sobriety, okay, put sobriety and recovery first and everything else comes after that because you're going to lose everything if you lose your sobriety and recovery. But how does that show up when we're five years in or 10 years in or 15 years in and we think we've got this thing locked and we maybe stop going to therapy. We stop being altruistic. 
we stop extending our hand and helping others. We stop working steps. We stop sharing in meetings. We stop being of service of some way. What happens then? I think our ego begins to rise up a little bit and start to say, oh, we don't need this. The other person needs this. The newcomer needs this. That's for other people. You've got way more complex ways to deal with this. And I think it can be really grounding and introduce a new level of humility if we are willing to remind ourselves, no matter where we are on our sober or recovered path, that we still put this thing first. And we don't do that as a punishment. We do that to expand our lives, to save our relationships, to save our self-esteem and our self-worth. And I know that that's the paradox. It's really confusing because you can think, oh, I'm putting this first, I'm ignoring everything else. But what if I told you that putting this first changes our perception of everything else? Have you ever worked with a newcomer, someone who is absolutely on fire, who doesn't know if they're going to make it till tomorrow, and they're talking about their life and how they're feeling and all of those things, and then gone home to your life? You look at everything differently. It feels different. Your perception has changed. And it's incredible. And it's really healing. And when you show up and do that for someone else, they in turn show up and do that for others. And so it goes. And it's not like a scam. It's actually a really beautiful thing. So I hope that my perspective on this can be helpful. And I hope that you got something out of this. By no means am I telling anyone what they have to do. I'm just really introducing it as something to think about. So even if you had some resistance when I began talking and you thought, what do you mean put sobriety and recovery first? I don't need to do that. I have to pay my bills first. I would encourage you just to drop into a pause and just think about what life would look like and feel like if you did put sobriety and recovery first and that amplified everything else in your life. Well, thank you so much for being here this week. And before you close out of this episode, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Take a second to leave a rating or a review. And you can check out the 12-step playlist I made on Spotify at my personal account, um, Love Letters and Mixtapes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode.